Welcome to Because You Need to Know, recorded live at the Cohen Multimedia Studio at Chautauqua Institution. I'm Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Today's guest is Elizabeth McLean. She is the founder and chief knowledge and information strategist for Nosaic, her consulting practice that's based in Washington, D.C. Liz is inspired to seek out and amplify knowledge flow and knowledge continuity with a focus on how project teams and experts can create or improve frameworks and culture for deeper knowledge exchange, experience, capitalization, and learning. What is the biggest challenge in knowledge management for you? For me, yes. is uh, working toward finding the sweet spot between the social aspects and reconciling that with policies and leadership styles. Ooh, okay. Explain. Well, you know, there are varying degrees. I'm sure your audience understands this all too well. There are such varying degrees of understanding from leadership roles about how to implement infrastructures and operations that are knowledge sharing conducive. Hmm. Knowledge managers have to establish close relationships and understandings of strategies and goals for a given enterprise in order to augment and amplify for leadership additional steps, additional opportunities that they can model or create to enhance and leverage the knowledge that already exists in their organizations. So you're, it's leadership heavy to get this done? No, no. Leadership is a facet. Okay. You're working primarily, uh, excuse me, you're working in relationships with several roles, with a leadership role, with project management roles, and then in culture and individual roles. Hmm. So you're going at it not just from the top down, but from the middle out and from the bottom up Hmm. to cultivate knowledge exchange opportunities and environments for people to leave that legacy and reveal these tacit nuggets for innovation and and process and progress. So people is a big component of the people processes and technology for you. It is. The people approach, the people-centered activities are my passion Mm. and my approach. I came up through the KM ranks as a as a road cam practitioner with the intent and the problem solving to use technology to organize and distill information and knowledge out of the chaos. And that was very early in the 2000s. As I've matured and as the field has matured, I understand more than ever that it is the interface between people's information needs, people's knowledge challenges, and where they're stored, how you find the expertise and location, the knowledge manager is that translator. Mm. And if you don't understand what the people who are in these knowledge processes must have and need to complete their goals and impacts, then you're not going to understand how to fashion the tools, how to classify the content, and how to work within the stakeholders 
to bring those things to the fore. So what I hear in this uh, contextual build of what it takes, I'm hearing a couple things come up for me. And one is an instructional designer, and the other one is a user interface or use you know web uh, yeah user interface user experience right. It is this transitional point where you can go from data information to make it conceptual and contextual uh, and and user friendly. Uh, Precisely. Yeah. So Precisely. I, that's you a have huge. To build that faith by establishing user displays and user interfaces that become seamless yeah. when teams need to access. Okay, where do I find it? Who do I look for? Where do I look? Mm-hmm. And how do I expand or refine what I'm trying to locate? And so you cannot throw technology out and expect anyone who is trying to be efficient in their processes to spend the time to make that product yield what they want. They need someone who interprets context, classification, uh, work processes, and derive for them a better user experience so it's seamless. Mm -hmm. So it's effortless also, right? So it's not... For them. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, you don't want to make it cumbersome. I asked an organization once what would be the best interface, and they are like, well, a really good search function. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So you're 100% relying that that individual will know the exact word they need to search in order to find, you know, it's like. Don't uh, forget that. Oh, my gosh. Each individual or each project team is going to call things by a different, possibly a different. Absolutely. uh, Phrase or, or turn of a phrase. And that's one of the things I'll always ask an organization. So where's your glossary? Do you have your glossary? And if they don't even have a glossary, you know, you're going to run into all kinds of problems about what the words mean to begin with. It's always a struggle. Yeah. That's why what we're doing here has to start with people because Mm. we need to understand what their thought process is and align that with what they need to have to do their jobs better. And so if we don't understand that, the glossary, it's, you know, yeah. the glossary will not be yeah. attuned to what they're trying to express. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be engaged. It's got to be engaged to be effective. What What do you think is uh, the best solution? So if you were going to sit down and have coffee with somebody that's a mid-sized company CEO, and they're like, I've heard about this KM stuff. What does it mean? And you would say, oh, the top three things you want to do are what? What would you tell that individual? That's a great wind up there for the pitch, Edwin. <laughs> um, I wouldn't really use the, the phrase KM at all in the conversation. All right. I would really explore what is it about your midsize organization that keeps you up at night mm. about what do you need to know to do what you need to do either now or in the near term or the longer term? What do you need your experts and your organization to learn and what do you need to surface and how do you leverage what you already know to to make it successful and and a lot of times people don't really know what they really know in their organization so you have to say okay well we'll need to understand what you're sitting on how that aligns with your strategy and then how we're going to save you time and money Mm by making a better picture and learning process for the people Mm -hmm. who make these projects go. So are you pitching overall uh, innovation? 
I mean, that's an outcome of uh, all this, I would think. Well, innovation would be the outcome, you know, to have the processes made more efficient and more seamless so that innovation can grow from it. But what I'm really pitching is the mindfulness, the infrastructures that permit pauses and reflections Mm. that allow this tacit, that that surface this tacit and explicit learning from this project to be able to to be, you know, collaborated and, and adapted to new competitive capabilities. Right. You're, you're bringing up a concept that is a, it's kind of resource heavy because it's time and people, but uh, you know, this whole reflection doesn't just happen. It it can just happen, but when it's better designed into the framework of the organization to give space, to allow a permeability of time and understanding so people can actually learn that's invaluable. It is. And when you think about it, it has to be instilled from all of the areas that it touches. It touches project management. It touches human resources management. Mm-hmm. It touches organizational learning and business development and finance because of the risks. What happens if you do not take that time to engage? Mm-hmm. So from all those building blocks and those integrations, leaders who tie performance evaluations and who tie results to the understanding that that time must be carved out mm-hmm. at at the appropriate junctures for projects, not just in, at the end, but the during and the before. Yeah. Um, that is resource heavy, but if it becomes the culture, if it becomes the the exchange, yeah. the learning the, and exchange the norm, culture, right? the, norm. Yeah. the results yeah. are are going to far outweigh the the time spent. And then it won't even seem to be a chore. Right. No, it'll be motivating. And here's what we contributed and here's what we got out of it. And we've increased our competitive capabilities or impact on our mission. I, I like what you're selling. Uh, I, I'm a prefer, I'm a purveyor of everything you're saying. So, what would you say to someone who says, "Oh, we have SharePoint," <laughs> or well, whatever the IT name? Not to pick on SharePoint. I like SharePoint, but you know, as right. soon as you start talking to some folks that are in the, uh, not specifically into the KM world and, and not specifically into the personnel side, uh, they seem to think IT is everything. That is very common. Um, in fact, when I was working at the Pentagon for the Office of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they called our SharePoint jobs knowledge management engineers. So it was, you know, it is so misunderstood as far as IT. But what I would say to the person who tells me that, well, we've got SharePoint, I'd say, well, is how you're using SharePoint wasting time for your people or saving them time? How do they know when they do a search that the information is the most up-to-date and applicable? How do you know that it's being fully utilized in the way that you intended for it to be used or that it needs to be utilized now? There are a lot of tweaks that um, systems that are in place could stand to have for better Mm -hmm. user interface, Mm -hmm. for content gardening, and for just general social and uh, organizational well, awareness. And you brought up something that's uh, a measurable that I don't think a lot of organizations think about. And that is what was the intent 
of you're even getting this. What, what did you hope to do other than just spend money and stay up with the Joneses, so to speak with the rest of the organizations (laughs) out there, you know what? And and really that all boils down to what was the governance to build this uh, need out requirement to begin with, you know, how much, how much legwork did you actually do uh, deep and wide of the enterprise to even understand how this all, all the requirements that are going to have to be in place to make it effective to begin with? And while I'm, I'm nodding along vigorously, <laughs> right, Edwin, I also know that, you know, whatever problem that it was brought in to solve, and that could be a simple thing or it could be a complex yeah. thing, um, is that the same problem that we need to solve? And, mm. and instead of taking a super comprehensive view of all the things it needs to do, more cherry pick on how can we get some quick wins yeah. and start to change hearts and minds. Yeah. The failed outcome of sometimes employing a digital solution is that you end up creating another shared drive, which doesn't help anybody. <laughs> You know, exactly. It's like, oh, wow, that's very helpful. You know, because the answer is, oh, well, I put it on a share drive. Oh, well, no. thanks. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, go find you know, it. When you bring that up, it, it reminds me, too, that going back to the people centric mm-hmm. approach here, because if you have some functioning areas in a SharePoint like platform and you have these silos or these uh, disciplines that are just staying in their silo and in their discipline. If you're not focused on the people-centric part, you're not even going to notice that this silo is dealing with the same problem that this silo is dealing with. And so by interfacing and bringing those project teams or organizational functions together to share, oh my gosh, we just figured this out over here, but you didn't see it because you're not over in our space. That's where the power of convening the conversations and convening these exchanges um, really trump the IT aspect. And it's funny because as you said that, all I could envision was going from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, as far as decades and how processes and workflows were uh, on paper in in file folders, in file cabinets. You know, it was, it, exactly. it, it was like all we've done was digitize the same mentality because we have folders in file cabinets that are still not connected to... The, the, the grander scheme of things. It's like, oh my gosh, we're still doing, you know, it's like, ah. Uh. Precisely. And, you know, you tell someone or you advise them that we're going to do ca- better capturing and we're going to do better databasing and data recalling. But really what they want to know is, hey, buddy, I just wondered what you were working on. Oh my gosh, we're working on that same, too. Yeah, we just spent a bunch of money on the same thing. Well, I love talking about the pain points. We could do it all day. There's plenty <laughs> to there's plenty to pick from, you know, all the way from an organization that runs its whole operation via email to uh, <laughs> having nothing but digital dumps where everything is saved but nothing's got any value. <sighs> but so to wrap things up, tell me what your definition of knowledge management is. Well, it again it stems back to the idea that um, if we start from the understanding that knowledge workers and get get the the role there, knowledge workers are creating value to improve the processes and grow innovation, then it follows, at least in my mind, that as knowledge managers, we apply the people-centered knowledge initiatives 
to organizational roles, operations, and cultures to identify and inform activities of HR, project management down the line to prevent the loss of expertise and Mm. shore up the competitive capabilities that take us down the, the path of our goals. And who wouldn't want to buy into that? Thank you. <laughs> I know, right? It's like I'm selling right. water and you're thirsty. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> it's that simple. And, you know, a lot of times people debate our, you know, our academic or our um, professional ways of explaining this process. But sometimes all it, it takes is, well, how do you how do you really want to go down the road of not doing these things mm-hmm. of losing your expertise oh, yeah. Yeah. and your, and your cap- competitive capabilities. Um, do you, you know, you don't have to say, Hey, we need these KM tools and yeah. we need this, that, and the other, we need to say, how are you going to retain the expertise that makes you stand out in your field and keep competitive and innovative? So you're saying the first step in KM awareness is knowing there's a problem. <laughs> That's right. Because if you're if you're all of your experts are retiring yeah. or you're working with the gig economy and you wonder where's the value for my for my expertise and my company mm-hmm. and it's leaving. Yeah. Yeah. You start there. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for your time, Elizabeth. It's been a joy. Thank you, Edwin. Recorded live at the Cohen Multimedia Studio at Chautauqua Institution. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax-exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer-ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.